Hi guys, I'm Leon Little and I'm all about stories. We all know that I read them, write them, watch them, anything with a story, I am absolutely in love with it. I especially love sharing them with other people and reading them to other people, so what better way is there than to start with the classics? They're classics for a reason, right? Overall, they're fantastic. Normally, I don't really get a chance to talk to you guys during a regular episode, so I thought that I would take an opportunity to have a little bit of a tiny chat right now. So one thing that I've been asked here and there is, why don't you give your thoughts during the regular episodes? Honestly, the main reason is you. I did record an episode or two where I did include my thoughts throughout the reading, but the thing was, when I listened back to it, I found that it was pretty distracting breaking away from the book and then going back to it. So it was just really jumpy going back and forth, but I still wanted to be able to share my thoughts. So that's where these recap episodes were born. It gives the best of both worlds. It gives the listeners the chance to listen to that chapter without any interruptions. But then again, if you're curious as well, you can still listen to these recaps or skip them, whatever works best for you. I am always interested in hearing your opinion, whether or not you want them in the actual episodes or if you would like them in these recap episodes. Hit up all the comments or you can message me directly on my Buy Me A Coffee page, which is leannelittle.com. So then let's get started with this recap, shall we? This recap starts off at Chapter 6, The Deputy Procurer de Ra, the Procurer of the King. It focuses on another marriage feast, this one for an upper-class guy named Vilfor and his fiancée, Renée. Vilfor is a magistrate, a lawyer. He's 27 and definitely looking to move up in the world. He's sitting down during his feast and discussing Napoleon, politics, his job, uh, with all kinds of people of nobility because he's marrying a marquis's daughter. Even the gruesome parts of his job are brought up, which is to say the beheadings of certain criminals. We also find out that Vilfort has a pretty serious past. His father was a supporter of Napoleon, and Vilfort has spent a lot of time and effort to distance himself from that so he can get ahead in life, even to the point of disowning his father, Nortier, and he renamed himself as Vilfort. The nobility talks about how they want Vilfort to be very strict with traitors and punish them pretty severely, which he promises to do even though his fiancée wants him to be a little bit more lenient and show some mercy. We also find out through the conversation that he's made a quite a good impression on the king, which is a huge compliment. At this point, Vilfor is delivered the letter written by Fernand accusing Edmond of treason. He reads it out to the group and then leaves to deal with the situation. Overall, I can absolutely see this chapter happening today, but there's just a couple of things that kind of tweak me a little bit. The first is that right now, things are not so easily forgotten through just simply a name change and straight-up ambition. The fact that Vilfor's father is a Bonapartist would be brought up again and again and again, probably forever. The internet does not forget, and it's not very forgiving. Back then, it would have been forgotten over time because there's less of an access to information in that way, and Vilfor's definitely trying to make that happen by kind of distracting everybody with all the good work that he's doing for the king. Another is that if a lawyer, policeman, anyone in that kind of work were to read a letter considered to be evidence in public that way, which is he basically used it for entertainment during a dinner party, they would probably be fired in a heartbeat, especially before the accused had been tried in court. And then one thing that really gets to me is the treatment of Renee. At one point, 
She's basically told to keep her trap shut. She's a woman. She shouldn't talk about things she doesn't understand. Thankfully, we've come a long, long, long way since then. And if she were told that today, I feel like she would stand up for herself. And that brings us up to Chapter 7, The Examination, where Vilfor finds that Edmond has been arrested, to him, rightfully so. When he arrives home to interrogate Edmond, he meets Monsieur Morel, who pleads Edmond's case even before Vilfor has a chance to talk to him. The thing is, with Vilfor's past, he's actually quite well aware that Morel was suspected of supporting Napoleon as well, and calls him out on it before going inside to interrogate Edmond properly. When he goes inside, he finds Edmond is clearly nervous, but he's calm. They go over all the basics, so his age, his job, what he was doing when he was arrested. We can see where Villefort's concerns are, which is social climbing and his fiancée. Then they get into the nitty-gritty of the issue and start discussing the possibility of Edmond having enemies, as well as his promotion. He lets Edmond read the letter, and Edmond tells the story of stopping at Elba. Vilfor ends up taking him at his word that Edmond doesn't know anything about the contents of the letter and tells him to hand it over, and then Edmond can go. The downside here is that Vilfor finds out who the package is addressed to. Turns out, it's his own dad. So then he burns the letter, convinces Edmond that he's doing it to get rid of the evidence to protect Edmond, and not himself. Vilfor promises that he's going to be detained only for a little while longer, and gets Edmond to agree to be escorted out by an officer. Vilfor admits to himself that he's going to use the situation to his advantage, and that's pretty much where we leave off. There are so many points that I could make about why this chapter would never happen right now, the first one being the interrogation itself. A lawyer would never be doing the initial interrogation after the arrest, for one thing. Another is that it would have been recorded, likely both in audio and video, it would have recorded the entire interaction, including Vilfor's change of heart, his physical reaction that he had to finding out who the letter was addressed to, and his own part in the conspiracy against Edmond. It would have caught all of it. Next comes the burning of the letter. I don't think interrogators would bring the original letter into the interrogation room. I think they would probably be more likely to bring in a copy, so burning it wouldn't actually do any good at all for Vilfor. Something else that gets to me a little bit is that for something like treason, I feel like that would be a team effort on the part of authorities. To me, Vilfor would not have been working alone. Keep in mind, though, I am in no way law enforcement, so I really don't know for sure. It's just my thoughts on it. But I don't think Vilfor could have done this without being caught and getting arrested himself. Chapter 8, the Chateau Deef, sees Edmond being transported to jail. Given the deal that he's made with Vilfor, Edmond goes willingly without making a fuss. Initially, he's put in a holding cell, but then he's collected by gendarmes and escorted to a carriage and brought to the docks surrounded by guards. He's nervous, but again, he has faith in Vilfor, so he doesn't do anything, because... You know, Vilfor made him so many promises, so he trusts in that, and he figures that Vilfor is going to follow through. They get on a small boat and start making their way to the Chateau Deef. Edmond doesn't realize where they're heading, and it's only when they pass the Catalans and Mercedes' house that he starts really getting upset. He asks now and then where they're going, but the guards say nothing. They're not allowed, but they do cave when they're basically past the point of no return. Edmond freaks out. I mean, who wouldn't? 
Um, he's basically going to Alcatraz. Of course you would freak out. He yells about Vilfors' promises, which the guards know absolutely nothing about. He yells, tries to get away, but it's absolutely no use. They have him at gunpoint. They get to the chateau and he's brought to his cell. It has a straw bed, some bread and some water to eat and drink. No light. Edmond's in shock. And again, who wouldn't be? He's in the Chateau d'If. And he spends the entire rest of the night standing right where the prison guard left him. Edmond asks again and again in the morning to see the governor and he's denied. Edmond is told it's against the rules to even ask to see the governor, but he is allowed to ask for a few other things like better food, books, exercise time, all if he has the money to pay for it. Edmond says again he only wants to see the governor and will basically go on a hunger strike to do so. At this point, the jailer tells him the story of an abbe, a priest, that keeps offering a million francs for his freedom, over and over and over again. They ended up transferring him down to the dungeon. Edmond says he's not mad, he's not like the abbe, and he wants the jailer to at least tell Mercedes where he is, and he's rejected again. And then he threatens to bring the jailer with a stool. At this point, the guards had enough, and he moves Edmond down to the dungeon as well. So this one, mostly my considerations for why it wouldn't happen today is the treatment that Edmond receives. Nowadays, he would have light, he would have better food. I don't know the justice system very well, but I don't think that he would initially end up in solitary. He would likely be able to bring his concerns up the line. He might not be able to meet with the governor, but he would at least be able to send word up that he wants to speak with him. Like, I don't think his communication would be cut off that drastically. I think he would be able to bring up his concerns. And another thing now is, you know, jails now don't actually have dungeons. We do have solitary confinement. And I think maybe after that long of asking over and over and over, despite being told it's against the rules, I don't know the prison system at all, so I don't know how it works, but I would hope that they wouldn't go to solitary just for asking to see someone. In chapter 9, the evening of the betrothal, we see Vilfour returning to his feast to talk to the Marquis, his future father-in-law, and announcing that he has to leave for a few days. He tells the Marquis to sell his landed property, and landed property is not what it sounds like at all. It's actually property that earns an income. And Vilfort offers to help him out with that while he's in Paris. Afterward, Vilfort asks for a letter to the king, which Samaran can't give, but he does know someone who can, Monsieur de Salvo. And this letter will get Vilfort in to speak to the king without having to go through all the formalities of requesting an audience. After Samaran agrees to get to the letter, Vilfort heads home to get ready to head out, and he runs into Mercedes, who pleads for Edmond. He basically brushes her off without giving her any answers, and once inside the house, he has just a minute of guilt, but he does nothing about it before it's time for him to go back and get the letter. So from now until the end of the chapter, the point of view switches between a variety of people that we haven't seen in a little bit. We start off with Fernand and Mercedes, where Mercedes is grieving, with Fernand staying by her side the entire night. We find out that Monsieur Morel went to everyone he knew to get help for Edmond, but he was refused at every turn. Caderousse is definitely feeling guilty, and he's drinking that away, while Danglar is pretty much the only one that's thrilled with the situation, 
and he sleeps without a care in the world. During all of this, Vilfor is collecting the letter from Salvo and saying goodbye to Renee. And the last is Edmond's father, who is said to be dying with anxiety to know what had happened to Edmond. And one thing that I really, really want to point out about this chapter is, is how much I love how this chapter ends. The last sentence is, but we know very well what had become of Edmond. And to me, it sounds like we're being treated as co-conspirators. And it honestly gives me the chills a little bit. I don't know if you feel the same way too, but, you know, in my head, it's kind of like, but we know very well what had become of Edmond. It's awesome. The biggest thing for me to point out here as to why it wouldn't work now is Samaran being able to give the okay for his broker to sell his property to be delivered by Vilfor. I have never bought or sold a house, but I do know that there are so many hoops to jump through to do either of those, and lawyers are involved. And inspections. And conditions. Lots of things. So it would never be that easy today for a samurai to sell his property. And if not easily, at least not that fast, I don't think. And if there's any realtors out there that could help me out with this question, please let me know again in the comments. Or you can go to leannlittle.com and you can message me directly. I am truly, truly curious on how fast you would be able to sell a property. So then now comes chapter 10, The King's Closet at the Tuileries. And this is when Vilfor gets to Paris and is able to meet with the king, who in the episode I call Louis Philippi, I do know my pronunciation was completely wrong. In my defense, I just watched a movie with Ryan Philippi in it, so I guess he was on my mind a bit. I am sorry for the mispronunciation. It's Louis-Philippe. Moving on. This chapter talks about the king making notes in a book while a duke, Blackus, is telling him there's unrest in the southern provinces and worries that Napoleon is going to return. And the king should send scouts, but overall the king seems completely unconcerned. Baron d'André ends up coming in and tells the king that, as of a report that's five days old, Bonaparte is basically depressed and not doing much of anything, and they think he'll be completely insane very soon. He's already had severe mood swings and a lot of other symptoms of mental illness. They go on about how Napoleon has actually ordered some of his people to serve the good king, so they think he's already switched teams, basically. Dondre leaves to see if a new report has arrived since he left his office, and Blackus seems nervous because he knows what news Vilfor has, and Blackus urges the king to see him, and that doesn't actually take very much convincing at all. The second the king hears Vilfor's name, he takes it very seriously. Once again, Vilfor's father is mentioned, but the king stands up for Vilfor and his ambition, saying Vilfor would sacrifice even his dad to get what he wants, which we all know is completely true. He's escorted up, and Vilfor tells the king his news. The usurper is getting ships ready to attack, and he's probably already left Elba. When he's questioned about where he got this information, Vilfor embellishes the story, saying he suspected Edmond of Bonapartism for a while, and that Edmond had been given an oral message to give to a Bonapartist in Paris. When the king asks if he thinks it's serious, well, Vilfor states, well, yeah, I left my engagement dinner for it. Of course, I think it's serious. The king says that it would actually be hard to execute a conspiracy, not really believing it, but then Dondre comes back and he's looking like he's going to pass out. 
And this is where the chapter ends. And again, it's mostly just communication issues that wouldn't be likely to happen now. For one thing, would Villefort even have to go to Paris now? Probably not. I think Salvo would have gotten Villefort to the point where a video call would have worked just fine. Also, there's the issue of the report being so old, like five days old. Clearly, even then, five days was a lot of time, a lot of things can change in five days, just as it can now. And there is the possibility that intelligence could be delayed nowadays, but in the internet age, I really don't see a five days delay happening. That is it for this recap. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you hear, hit up all those like, follow, subscribe buttons, and please don't be shy. Leave any comments you would like or head over to leanlittle.com to message me directly, especially if you have other reasons I haven't mentioned as to why the Count of Monte Cristo would never happen nowadays. I hope you have an amazing day, and remember, it's all about the story.